Saladino, who hit a grand slam yesterday to tie the game in Arizona. Boy, what a story this would be. Saladino, center field, Senzel on the run, on the run. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. I wish last night's Brewer game would have ended just just right there. Just bottom of the eighth inning, Tyler Saladino hits go-ahead grand slam. Just call it. Like That's fine. You don't, don't need to play the ninth. Brewers don't end up winning 6-5 to five the final score as Eugenio Suarez dings Jeremy Jeffers for a two-run go-ahead home run in the top of the ninth with two outs. We were right there. We were almost to the finish line. I was getting ready to, to basically do the Tyler Saladino show today. And then J.J. hangs a breaking ball that, well, didn't really break. And Suarez uh, hit it out. We're talking about a 6-5 loss last night at the hands of the Cincinnati Reds. I, it was depressing to listen to Wisconsin Sports Radio today. Listening to Bill Michaels and, and going on Twitter, seeing what Bill had to say and seeing what Radio Joe had to say. Man, how much does this loss hurt? Are you over it? Like, It really stinks that the Brewers weren't able to win last night and weren't able to, to really cement that moment, that Tyler Saladino back-to-back games, Grand Slam. They weren't able to cement that with a win. And now it will be viewed more as a footnote than anything. But it's not like, I mean, not like one of the players died. It's not like they were eliminated from the postseason. It's one regular season game. And I don't know why I'm the one to bring that perspective in. Seeing yesterday, I said that this Cincinnati series is the most important series of the season to date. Like, if anyone should be upset, if anyone should be heartbroken and just upset today, it should be me. But I'm not, because... This will happen. We've talked through the season that sometimes you lose games you were supposed to win and you win games you were supposed to lose. It's a very small portion of the of the entirety of a regular season. I think earlier, Craig Council, if you if you think back to the twin series when Orlando Arcia hit a hit a late home run to steal one uh while the Brewers were playing at Target Field, Craig Council said after the game, man, we kind of felt like we stole that one. If you're able to win two, three, four of those games a year, you're doing pretty well. Well, you're probably also going to lose two, three, four of those games a year. Last night was one of those instances where the Brewers just let one get away. And it's unfortunate. I mean, Tyler Saladino, it's enough to hit a grand slam, period. It's enough to do it in back-to-back games. And unfortunately, uh, not able to win last night to kind of cement that moment in the uh, 2019 Brewers regular season. I don't know, history books in our memories. However you remember uh, moments from regular season Brewer baseball games, it's going to be more viewed as a footnote now than anything else. This is the Wisco Sports Show. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hopefully you're having an awesome night and and you are not still downtrodden about last night's Brewer game because, let's be real, it is just one regular season game. It was a bummer to lose like that, but they got another game with the Reds tonight. They wrap up that series tomorrow. They have an off day and then they get in action with the Chicago Cubs this weekend, which is the series that really, really matters and I have four tickets to this weekend's Cubs series. It's actually the Friday night game, seven ten. I have four tickets. All you got to do if you want them uh, is text me at 608-796-2558 and said, hey, yep, I'll take the four-pack of Brewers tickets 
Four seats right in a row. They're about 50 bucks a piece, so a little bit over a $200 value you could go for free on Friday night. Start your weekend a little early. It is a Cubs series, so I, I, I will give these tickets to you uh, with the understanding that you are, I mean, you mean business, all right? Brewers fans, you got to go in there and hold your own against Cubs fans this weekend. So if you take these tickets, it's a little, you know, I know that you know that I know that this this game means a lot. And if you got to throw some hands, you got to get into it with Cubs fans. That's what you got to do. So take these tickets uh, with that in mind that it is the Cubs series. We have a lot to talk about today, including the Brewers. Uh, a lot on the Brewers. And, and training camp is, is starting to get going. Officially, more players showing up, it seems, by the hour. I'm seeing videos of... Blake Martinez is now here, and Adrian Amos has now arrived. I mean, it's just starting to ramp up. So we'll talk about uh, the Packers later, including a player who's coming up on a contract year that they extended uh, just about an hour or so ago it was announced. So I want to talk about that. Last night, the Tyler Saladino Grand Slam got all the attention and then obviously the big disappointment. But something I saw being talked a lot about today was the management of Craig Council in the ninth. Now, a lot of different angles. Right now, why was Jeremy Jefferson in the game and, and not Josh Hader? That's one thing you could say. I, I will say that Craig Council is consistently inconsistent uh, with load management for some of his bullpen pitchers because Jeremy Jefferson has pitched, what, three days in a row? Three of five, three of four? He's been pitching a lot. So if you're okay with Jeremy Jefferson pitching a bunch of games, are you, you're not okay with Josh Hader because Josh Hader would have been pitching three in a row, but you also have an off day coming up on Thursday, so you could have pitched Josh Hader. Hope for a clean 9-12 to 12 to 15 pitch inning. Give him the next two nights off. Plus, you get the off day on Thursday, and he'll be ready to go for this weekend. I saw some people complaining about that. A lot of people also were frustrated with the decision, or lack thereof, from Craig Council to not walk a Eugenio Suarez, the Reds' best hitter, the best power hitter, who already hit a home run in this game. To pitch to, I don't even remember who it was, Van Nelson, Van Meter, whatever the kid's name was. Nobody had heard of this kid who was in the on-deck circle. Nobody had heard of this guy. Instead, pitched to Eugenio Suarez, which was a little bit of a controversial managing decision. This is what Craig Council, this was an exchange with him and Adam McCalvey of MLB.com, Brewers.com, last night uh, in his post-game press conference. It's a, it's a little awkward. It's a little cringy of an answer asking, you know, did you ever think about walking Suarez? To get to the Joe Brown on deck? No other rethinking in terms of you don't want to put him on there and go for Van Meter. No, there's just nothing else. You know, what else? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Was that a matchup you didn't like? Well, I, I like JJ against Suarez, and I'm, you're putting the win and run on base, and you know, generally not favorable. I understand why you don't want to put the winning run on base, okay? It's like, well, you don't want to. Put a runner on in scoring position. You don't want to put the the, the tying run in scoring position or the the the, the go ahead run at home plate, right? There's all these these um these measuring sticks. Well, you don't want it to get to this point. You don't want it to get to the point where the tying run is in scoring position, or you don't want it to get to the point where the go ahead run is in the on deck circle, right? We get freaked out by that, right? But here's where I'm going to turn this around on Craig Council. And look, if this decision works out, we're not talking about it. We're talking about the Tyler Saladino grand slam, and the ninth inning is is nothing but a footnote, which is what. Saladino's Grand Slam will unfortunately become. I'm not criticizing this decision. It didn't work out. That doesn't mean his logic was flawed. It just means it, it didn't work out. But let me spin it this way. Okay, let's say that the roles were switched last night and the Brewers were playing in Cincinnati down one run in the top of the ninth. Two outs, a runner on base, and a runner at the plate. And let's say that it wasn't Eugenio Suarez. It was the Brewers' best power hitter, Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich in the batter's box, 
tying run on base, go-ahead run is Christian Yelich in the box, and there's two outs. Now, as a Brewer fan, I would certainly prefer that the Reds pitch to Christian Yelich than intentionally walk him for whoever's on deck, but let's let's keep it consistent here. I, the no-name guy for, for the Reds, I believe his last name was Van Meter. I don't remember his first name. Obviously not a great option. They, they elect to not pitch to him, but pitch to Suarez. Well, what if the Brewers had Jacob Nottingham in the on-deck circle, right? Back and forth between the majors. Nobody outside of the Brewers fandom would, would know Jacob Nottingham, right? I think that's a pretty fair comparison. Let's say that the Brewers were in this place last night. And as a Brewer fan, you're obviously trying to take the lead or tie or force extra innings, what have you. Would you prefer that the Reds intentionally walked Christian Yelich? Yeah, I mean, they're putting the, the go-ahead run on base, right? They're putting the go-ahead run at, at, at first base. Would you be, would you prefer that or would you prefer them pitching to Christian Yelich? I would certainly rather have Christian Yelich hit. And I'd like to think that last night Reds fans were saying, thank you for pitching to Suarez. Thank you. Heck yeah. When you look at it that way, I, I think it becomes kind of a clear choice. I'm not saying intentionally walking a great hitter is always the answer, but last night, given who was in the on deck circle and both teams are playing with a short bench right now, I probably would walk Suarez. But then again, you got to trust your your pitcher to get an out as well, which is where the issue for Craig Council arises. Yeah, the analytics may tell you to keep as many runners off base as as possible. So why would you put anyone? I understand the analytics, but last night just watching the game, just getting a feel for it. Suarez at the plate, Van Meter, Joe Blow, no namer in 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 the batters or in the on deck circle. I I'd rather take my luck with him. And it's a shame last night. I know it's only one game. I know it's only one, and the Cubs lost as well, so it was a missed opportunity to gain some traction in the division. Now the Brewers in third place just behind the Cardinals, uh, which is not a huge concern until this weekend series with the Cubs because you can gain back uh, a couple of games just like that over the course of a three-game series. The real issue in last night's loss for me is you lost a moment. You let a moment slip away, and I know that sounds cliche. I know it sounds... Like that's out in the ether, that that's not a, a real tangible thing. I, I I think a moment is important, right? When we think of 2018, what do we think of? We think of Christian Yelich's MVP run, those cycles that he hit against Cincinnati, or we think of Manny Pena's game uh, on Mother's Day where he brought the Brewers back with that booming home run on a Sunday afternoon. That's what we think. We think of those moments, and those moments can drive a team. Those moments can lead to to more moments and, and better performances and, and, and a hot team with players playing well. Moments are important. Look, look at the Packers season last year. What did Aaron Rodgers himself say? We're just looking for that galvanizing moment. Now, they never really got one. They had opportunities to, to make a galvanizing moment happen, but one never happened. Last night, that could have been Aaron Rodgers' quote-unquote galvanizing moment. The Tyler Saladino back-to-back Grand Slam games in late July to finally wake this team up and, and, and start a, a hot stretch. Could have been, we'll never know. The Brewers let a moment slip away last night, and I think the moment is much more important than the game. Just my opinion. I'm not mad that they lost. I'm mad that they let that moment slip away. That's more important to me because I think that has resounding effects past this series, past this week, and farther down uh, through the regular season, even approaching the postseason. Moments are important. Moments are important to me. You might not agree. I, I certainly think they they, they hold weight uh, during a, a course of a playoff run. You might think as a Wisconsin sports fan, I, I feel like we've done this before. Tyler Saladino, grand slam in back-to-back games. Oh, but then the Brewers, the Brewers blew it, right? They didn't take advantage of it. I, I had some deja vu, too, and when I thought about it, We've seen this before with Wisconsin sports fans. I'll explain coming up next. Uh, This is the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY.
Warren. High drive! And this game will be extended! Suarez has done it again! That is unbelievable. That from the top of the ninth inning last night. The Brewers blowing a great opportunity to enjoy a great moment from Tyler Saladino. Instead losing 6-5. to five. Two outs. So close to wrapping up that game. And I know the, the point of this segment, the point of the show, the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY is to not analyze uh, highlights. But, God, is that Marty or Tom Brenneman? Who's the younger one? What a, like, can you be any more extra? I understand it's it's a big-time go-ahead home run, but, like, it sounds like he's about to pop, like, like pop a, a blood vessel or something. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Listen to this again. High drive! And this game will be extended! Suarez has done it again! Like, what a, just what a, a weird extra way to, to describe a go-ahead home run. And this game will be extended! Like, holy cow, man, you gotta calm down. Like, I understand. I guess I shouldn't complain. If it was my team, I probably would would not have a problem with it. But holy smokes. And then well, while we're on it, like the contrast from the color man, who I have no clue who it is. Like, can you match the intensity? If one guy's going to have intensity, can you at least match it as the color guy? High drive! And this game will be extended! Will be extended! has done it again! Done it again! That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable, Tom. Like, okay. Well, if somebody's going crazy, the other guy's got to go crazy, too. I, I, like, I think that's the rule. I think that's the rule for, for play-by-play and, and color commentary. <laughs> Guys, no matter what the sport is, this is the Wisco Sports Show. We focus on Wisconsin sports, not Reds, not Cincinnati. Um, last night, the Brewers let a great moment slip away. They had a, a, a tremendous moment back-to-back grand slams and back-to-back games. Not in the same game from Tyler Saladino. So eight RBIs. In two games after hit, he was hitting like 100. He had no RBIs going into this weekend. A Grand Slam Sunday, a Grand Slam yesterday. And the Brewers kind of let that moment go to waste. And and at the time, I'm thinking, man, I think we've, I think I've seen this before. I've, I've had this feeling before. Okay, so if you follow me on Twitter, at Keystroker Grant, if you go to my profile, this tweet's from early June. It's pinned at the top of my profile. You don't have to follow me if you don't want, but if you want to check it out, go see me, at Keystroker Grant. The top tweet is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. List of athletes who have come out of nowhere to bone Wisconsin sports teams out of championship chances, okay? I, I go back to 2008, Plexico Burris against the Packers. Now, this might have been a little bit of a reach. I know he was a 1,000-yard receiver. I was 12 years old. Give me a break, okay? Plexico Burris comes out of nowhere, pops off, and, and keeps the Packers out of the Super Bowl. 2011, it was David Fries with the Brewers. Where's David Fries now? I don't know. He was on the Dodgers last year. I don't know where he's playing this year. David Fries had one unbelievable run to carry the Cardinals to a World Series through the Brewers. I haven't really heard a lot from him since. 2014 and 13, Colin Kaepernick takes the league by storm, slaps the Packers around a couple of times in the playoffs only to disappear. And and yes, I know that there's like political and judicial ramifications of why he may or may not be in the league. But let's be real. His play dropped off substantially, even with the protests and even with probably being kept out of the league because of them. If he was playing at the level he was before, somebody would have him. Okay, I don't want to get political, but his play dropped off. 2015, it was Grayson Allen. I believe he had 16, 17 points off the bench for Duke. And we're like, who is this little you-know-what? Are you kidding me? Came out of nowhere to beat the Badgers. And then in 2019 with the Bucks, it was Fred Van Vliet. Because, of course. Because why not? Like, there's a big list in Wisconsin sports teams past. Players who have come out of nowhere to, to basically just overcome whatever team Wisconsin has had to, to win a championship. David Freeze, Plexico Burris, Colin Kaepernick, Fred Van Vliet. 
Grayson Allen. So close, always stopped by one random player who's so easy to hate. So I was thinking earlier today, why don't we do another list? Why don't we do Wisconsin sports moments that have been spoiled because the team has not taken advantage of them, right? So last night, Tyler Saladino hits a grand slam in in a second consecutive game, or as people have loved to say the last two days, his second grand slam in as many days, in as many games. It's like, oh, okay. All right, Mr. Mr. Poet, like calm down a little bit. Back-to-back grand slams, and the Brewers don't do anything with it. They lose it. Could have been a great moment, but instead it's going to go down as a footnote. And I started thinking, I'm like, man, there are a lot of examples of, of this same exact thing in very recent Wisconsin sports history. Let's go in chronological order. I started back in 2016. It was the NFL season, 2015-2016. We all remember it well. Aaron Rodgers playing to tie and force overtime in Arizona against the Cardinals in the divisional round of the playoffs. They got Rodgers backpedaling. He resets Starks. They are going to bring pressure again. Rodgers is going to roll away. Throws it up in the air. Says a prayer. And Janice does it. Stop it. Oh, please. What a catch. That's insane. Oh, my. That may be one of the great throws ever made. Moving to his left, falling away, and launching a perfect throw. One of the greatest throws ever made that didn't mean a damn thing because they let Larry Fitzgerald get loose on the first play of overtime. It might have actually not been the first play. I don't want to be wrong, but right away in overtime, before Aaron Rodgers has a chance to touch the ball again. One of the most electric plays I've ever seen in sports. I have never seen a quarterback in a game put his team on his back and make repeated throws. We're not even talking about the Jeff Janis throw on 4th and whatever it was, 4th and 20, 4th and 15, I don't remember, from his own end zone, heaving one and finding Jeff Janis. And that's the other part of this highlight. It was Jeff Janis. This wasn't Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams. This is Jeff friggin' Janis from Saginaw Valley. Division 2 guy, Jeff Janis. And they let it go to waste. They didn't do anything with it. So now when we remember this play, what do we remember? Okay, well, yeah, great throw, but what did you let Larry Fitzgerald do? What did you actually do in the end of this game because you didn't win? Let the moment go to waste. Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary, but actually had kind of two Hail Marys or a Hail Mary and a half as time expired in the fourth quarter to force overtime. And, of course, uh, the defense couldn't hold it down. A fantastic uh, Wisconsin sports memory absolutely let go to waste. Thank you very much. You wait one more year. You didn't have to wait very long for another one. This has been a very common occurrence the last couple of years. And I apologize. The television call of this highlight is just horrible. Remember Zach Showalter? Of course you do. Fan favorite. Back when Wisconsin Badger basketball was just awesome when it was fun and when I was bought in. Zach Showalter hitting a buzzer beater to tie it against Florida in the NCAA tournament. And then, you know what? Hit the Aaron Rodgers belt. Nigel Hayes. And Florida doesn't foul in these situations. They switch everything. Showalter. Playing the, the same that, that was just yelling. That's all that was. Like that was it wasn't really a highlight. Show Walter. Oh, 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 oh. All right. Like maybe maybe call the game. <laughs> Didn't mean anything because they turned around and 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 let a, a Florida player uh, whose name I have purposefully uh, removed from my memory just come right down and basically take a wide open three untouched, unhalted. Uh, to then go ahead and win. I don't think it was a three. I think it was a floater two, if I remember correctly. I didn't watch that part of the highlight. Are you kidding me? I didn't come here for bad memories. I just came here for the good ones. Another Wisconsin sports memory completely let go to waste. A great moment, let go to waste. Yep, thank you, uh, Wisconsin Badgers basketball, for uh, 
for letting that moment get away. And what made it greater, Zach Showalter hitting the Aaron Rodgers belt after hitting it. Like, come on, you can't get you can't get a better moment. And then, of course, uh, you go and blow it away. Now, only last year. We're really, I mean, there's a lot of these. This has happened a lot. Last year against the Boston Celtics, first round of the playoffs, game one, right? Bucks down three uh, with a second and a half or, or two seconds to go. Inbounding near half court, trying to force overtime in Boston, and then we get this. Here's onto the combo. Looking. Middleton! Oh! Yo! Yo! Chris Middleton! Chris Middleton from half court. Pure. Looked like a free throw. Drained it. And then what do the Bucks do? Oh, yeah, they go and they go and lose it in overtime. Because that's what Wisconsin sports teams do. You get great moments. You get iconic moments that, that are, are unlike anything we've ever seen. I've never seen an Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary type situation where a quarterback, it didn't, it literally didn't matter what Arizona did. Aaron Rodgers was winning that game. He was making those throws. It, it was similar to what he did in Dallas a couple years ago with Jared Cook in the playoffs. It just didn't matter. He was that much better than everyone else. With Showalter, that was the most awkward, unbalanced shot. It just didn't matter because it was going in. It was meant to be the sports gods said, here, state of Wisconsin, take this. And then you blow it on the other end. Oh yeah, last year with Chris Middleton, we're going to have him drain a half-court buzzer beater. But the problem is, Joe Prunty's such a bag of bones when it comes to coaching that it's not going to matter. Just wasted opportunities. And you can add Tyler Saladino to the scrap heap. The, the, the heap of footnotes in Wisconsin sports that were awesome, were amazing, were memories and were great highlights, but will be remembered only as a footnote because the teams actually couldn't do anything with them at all. And last night was just another example. Uh, there were a couple honorable mentions that I came up. I I was actually at the Bucks game six uh, against the Raptors in 2017. Uh, I was there. They were down 24, 25, 26 points, something like that. Come all the way back. We refer to it as the Jason Terry game. Now, he only had eight points, I remember, but he had a steal and a block. Like, he was everywhere in the final couple of minutes. Hit a big three. Like, that was the Jason Terry game. The huge comeback. I've never heard an arena louder than the Bradley Center was when the when Chris Middleton hit a four-point play shot to complete the comeback to go ahead after being down 25 points. And then what do they do? They lose it at the end. Uh, you could you could throw an honorable mention to the Badgers uh, against Penn State in the Big Ten Championship game in 2016. I know they did, that's not one specific moment. That's more of a, a tremendous first half that then they couldn't close. But I guess you could argue that, that there was a defensive score in that game. It was either T.J. Watt or Vince Beagle. I believe it might have been Vince Beagle who had the sack in the strip and then ran it in for six. And I'm thinking, man, here we go, national national championship or bust. This defense is nails. And then they fall flat on their face and Trace McSorley lights them up in the second half. You could also argue last year, 2018-2019 season, Jair, Jair Alexander, a great moment picking off Kirk Cousins after a great early season game on a beautiful Sunday at Lambeau Field, only to... And that's really not the Packers' fault. That's not really the Packers' fault. That game ended in a tie. That was more the the refereeing. But a great moment that didn't end up meaning anything because the Wisconsin team couldn't win the game. On brand, it's part of the Wisconsin sports brand, and the Green Bay Packers are a huge part of that brand. They re-signed one of their own, extended one of their own earlier this afternoon. We'll talk about that and maybe what training camp could tell us, what we what we need to be watching for during training camp. And I want to compare two players and show how maybe the future 
and the past of this Green Bay Packers team is right now staring each other in the face, right? The new and the old. Maybe a little awkward. Let's talk about that coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports. Packers talk on the way here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. 580 AM, 96.7 FM. You can always stream us live on our website, WKTYsports.com, and on our mobile app as well. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for being here. We've been talking Brewers, but I kind of want to move off it. Last night was a little bit disappointing. I understand it's only one game. It's one win or loss, and I get the Cubs lost too, but the bigger loss for me is you let a fantastic moment uh, with, with Tyler Saladino hitting yet another Grand Slam. You let that go to waste. You don't get to use that as fuel anymore. You don't get to take that and run with it. And when we talked about the Packers season last year, one of the the most memorable moments was Aaron Rodgers in a press conference saying, we're just waiting for that galvanizing moment. We're just waiting for something to jumpstart us. And it never came, and it felt like maybe, just maybe, although we'll never know, this moment could have been that galvanizing moment for the Brewers. Instead, they let it slip away. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers uh, starting up training camp this week on Thursday. Uh, So players starting to arrive, and it always cracks me up that they they stay in dorms. They stay at St. Norbert's in De Pere, uh, and and that's where they stay. And I believe they have roommates as well, which cracks me up because it's the NFL, uh, for gosh sakes. You're the highest level possible, although I guess they, they have yet to make a roster and yet to play in a game. But still, staying in dorms always cracks me up. Uh, and earlier today, the big news about the Packers was not necessarily about training camp, but it was about Dean Lowry, who they signed to an extension. And I've been trying to stay on Twitter throughout the show today, waiting for the financials of that deal and, and how that contract is structured. I don't believe anything's come through yet. And I'm scrolling Twitter as I talk right now. The desktop version of Twitter uh, has been updated and it's confusing as hell. So maybe, just maybe, uh, it uh, It isn't out yet. No, it looks like we do have details. Dean Lowry uh, is extended by the Packers, and it looks like we have deals. Yep, Tom Pelissero reporting Packers defensive end Dean Lowry. Three-year, uh, $20 million, well, $20 million and change, contract extension, fourth-round pick in 2016. Lowry has developed into one of their most reliable players up front. Well-earned. So $20.325 million over three years for Dean Lowry. That was the extension earlier today. It makes sense for a lot of reasons. I know Dean Lowry is not the, the biggest uh, biggest name, the most flashy player, the biggest superstar, but there's a lot of reasons that the Packers would want to keep him around. Uh, in the past two years, and I'm, and I'm just looking at statistics, trying to compile exactly what he's done so far as a Packer. In the past two years, he's had 76 tackles, five sacks, five pass deflections, and he only missed one game. In three seasons, and it was a healthy scratch his rookie year. He wasn't even injured. So knock on wood as I say that, but he's been very dependable, very healthy, and he had a, he had a great season down the stretch after Mike Daniels and Muhammad Wilkerson were injured, and the game started to matter less and less. He had a handful of sacks down the stretch last year that, that were really impressive. So they extend him before they go into the season, before he ever hits free agency. I think for a lot of reasons, the Packers... Are prioritizing depth here, right? You have Kenny Clark, you have Mike Daniels for now, although he's an upcoming free agent as well. You brought in some outside pass rushers, with which aren't technically defensive linemen, uh, but it starts to be the same with me. When you're an outside linebacker or a defensive lineman, you're rushing the quarterback, you're starting on that line of scrimmage, right? Whether you're an interior lineman, exterior, an outside pass rusher, you're all lining up in the same neighborhood, so I kind of lump them together. 
they're prioritizing depth right now, and they've compiled some some good depth because you have Kenny Clark, you have Mike Daniels, and whoever your 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 other starting defensive linemen are, great. You have two outside linebackers, both the Smiths that you love. You have Rashawn Gary, who you've drafted. You have Kyler Fackrell. Don't forget about that. And now you lock up Dean Lowry. Just another depth piece, another rotation piece to be up front. And I, and I think there's a there's a really good reason to extend him there. Now, going into 2020, and, and I saw this being tweeted out by Andy Herman, who joined the show two weeks ago uh, from the uh, um, um, from Green Bay Nation uh, and from the Pack-A-Day podcast. Andy Herman is talking about how the Packers planning to go into 2020, the only defensive lineman under contract were going to be Kenny Clark, Montrevious Adams, who I haven't even mentioned yet, Kingsley Kiki, and that's it. Now, now you can add Dean Lowry to that group, but they lock up a part of their future, right? They keep around depth for a couple of more years, and they make sure they don't get thin at a position. I also think it's a really great move because of his health. Like I said, he's only missed one game in his three-year career, and it was a healthy scratch his rookie year. That's it. And he showed his ability to, to stand in when other players got injured and, and hold his own, even with that extended playing time, even with more snaps. So I think they're confident investing in a player who they think or, or who they know is always going to be around. And, and and this might be the biggest point in, 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 in all of this, when you sign a guy early, you typically get him for a little bit cheaper, right? Just look at the, the last couple of years in Wisconsin sports with the signing of Devontae Adams in the season. Now that's looking like a steal. Okay, now if he hits free agency, maybe he makes a little more. They signed him in season, if you'll remember. Now, really recently, they locked up Eric Bledsoe for the Milwaukee Bucks. $70 million, which is looking like a steal. That was done before the season was over, before free agency started. Now, they sign up Dean Lowry before training camp even starts. So, so I, I truly believe that you're going to get more value the earlier you do something. It's better to pay early and maybe feel like you're overpaying just a little bit early, knowing that... When the time comes, you're going to be looking back and saying, wow, okay, that was a good deal. I, I do think they got some value uh, because they signed Dean Lowry early. And they've put together a nice group up front, a really nice group between their outside linebackers and their defensive linemen. And they have some depth as well. Dean Lowry is going to be a part of that depth. Kyler Fackrell and Rashawn Gary at first uh, won't be asked to be in a huge role uh, as a rookie. Now that might change throughout the season, but but they have a lot of depth. They have a lot of options which is a really good position to be in. Now, now you look at this this front, this defensive front, right? And I said I, I combine defensive linemen and outside linebackers into that same group because they're basically doing the same thing. They're lining up near or at the line of scrimmage, and they're rushing the quarterback. Whether you do that from the inside or the outside or the edges, it doesn't matter. You have the same goal. So I lump outside linebackers and defensive linemen together uh, in a certain sense. And when you look at this position group, this group as a whole, there's some trends, right? Now, there's your homegrown talent, Kenny Clark. Now, Mike Daniels is homegrown, too. But you also drafted Rashawn Gary, right? You drafted Dean Lowry, who they obviously love because they just re-signed. You drafted Kyler Fackrell, and the free agents you invested in are for multi-year deals, showing that you really like them, you're really committed to them in both of the Smiths. Everyone up front also has a history of staying pretty darn healthy. Kenny Clark hasn't missed a lot of games. The two Smiths, you signed them because they don't miss a lot of games. Dean Lowry was re-signed because he's shown he can be durable, right? Mike Daniels doesn't exactly fit in that. He's homegrown, but he doesn't exactly fit in 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 a in a real tough and, and non-injury prone role. He got injured last year, missed a lot of time. He missed time two years ago as well, right away at the beginning, if I remember correctly. Mike Daniels doesn't really fit in there. Oh, oh yeah, and, and, and 
By the way, they also like their guys up front to be versatile, right? The Smiths can line up in different places. Dean Lowry, I mean, hell, you got a scoop and score. Right, Rashawn Gary, play a little linebacker, he can get up on the line, he's big enough, he can do different things. Versatility is big. Mike Daniel, really not all that versatile. A lot, of young, a lot of youth up front in Kenny Clark and in Rashawn Gary. And the Smiths are, are on, the, the I think, the near side of their primes as well. Mike Daniels might be up there, right? He's not exactly young. The odd man out on this defensive front is starting to look like Mike Daniels. He's coming up on, on the last year of his contract right now. If they wanted to re-sign him, they probably could have done it already. I mean, they, they re-signed Dean Lowry after all, who's not nearly the name and not nearly the accomplished player that Mike Daniels is. Could Mike Daniels be the odd man out in all of this? We saw earlier uh, this summer people talking about, well, maybe they'll trade Mike Daniels. Just maybe. Some people throwing the idea out there. Maybe they'll trade Mike Daniels because he doesn't really fit with everyone else on that defensive front. There's specific trends. Versatile, healthy, right? Young. Mike Daniels really isn't any of those three things. Now he's homegrown, but you got to remember, Mike Daniels has played out his first two full contracts in Green Bay. He's been there for a while. It's not like the Packers haven't embraced him as one of their own. They have. It's They've just been embracing him for a while now. Mike Daniels starting to feel like the odd man out. Now, I'm not saying they should trade him. I'm not saying they should let him walk for nothing at the end of the year. I'd love to re-sign Mike Daniels. I'd love to have him around or get some type of conversation for him. I love Mike Daniels. One of my favorite players. I have a Mike Daniels jersey. I love his attitude. Because I think he's one really hard-nosed player uh, on a defense that's been pretty soft the last five years, and I think he's an I think he's he's an instigator. I was with one of my friends this last week on vacation, who's a Vikings fan. His family's from the cities, and he hates Mike Daniels. God, and I understand why. I think a defense needs a guy like that. But the Packers, at least so far, have shown priority towards Dean Lowry, who is a later round pick out of Northwestern, instead of Mike Daniels, who's been named as one of the top 100 players in the NFL. He's regarded as, as a really good interior lineman, a guy who can eat up double teams and get to the quarterback, right? But yet they prioritize Dean Lowry. They say, no, we want a younger guy. We want a guy who's shown the ability to stay healthy. We want a guy who's shown some versatility. This might be a crossroads for the Packers' defense. This might be a crossroads in a time where Blake Martinez... Maybe on his way out the door. Maybe Mike Daniels is on his way out the door. Tremont Williams, I'm sure before too long, if the Packers could have their way, would be on his way out the door. I think this Packers defense and what's left of players from years gone by and in the Dom Capers years, we're at a little bit of a crossroads. I think we're starting to see that and we definitely see that it's evident that the Packers are prioritizing guys like Dean Lowry over Mike Daniels. I think... The days in a Green Bay Packers jersey for Mike Daniels are numbered, even if he does play out the last year of his contract. I, I think the Packers are are ready to either play out this year or maybe even trade him first. We'll see. I think how the season goes uh, will tell us a lot about the future Mike Daniels. If, if they're underwhelming, massively underwhelming, I'd trade him away. I'd be a seller, much like you would in baseball. You'd sell off Mike Daniels, and he could be a rental for some team trying to compete because I don't think he's part of this team's future any longer. I want to talk about the defense training camp getting wrapped up later this week. I don't want to do predictions. I don't want to do anything like that. But I want to talk about some of my favorite storylines. Some of the things that I'm going to be looking for when I follow along with training camp, watch videos, read reports, watch news stories, all of that. Things that I'm excited to see training camp get starts on Thursday. Let's get ready for it. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKT.
Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. We've talked a lot of Brewers, a lot of Packers. You want to catch any of it that you've missed, head to WKTYsports.com. Just click on the podcast tab. All of our shows are right there. Well, not this one yet because we're not done with this one. But it will be in just a couple of minutes. So go back and check out anything uh, that you've missed. Training camp gets started officially on Thursday. You can look at the Packers website and their social media. They have a, a rundown of all of it. What's going on on what day? What's public? What's private? scrimmages, right, joint practices, family night, preseason games. It's all on there. So if you want to plan your next month and, and maybe just maybe maybe you want to go drive over, check out a practice, check out a preseason game, but I'm sure you want to be paying attention. So make sure you're, you're, you're following along. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, the order of things and, and exactly how fast this is all moving. We're going to be talking preseason in no time. Family night here in a, in a week or so, which is just crazy. The family night is that close. A lot of morning shows or shows like Bill Michaels or other Wisconsin sports shows have been doing predictions, right? They've been looking at the regular season schedule for 2019, 2020, and they've been picking games, right? They've been predicting. I'm not going to do that. I might never do that just because I don't think anybody cares. I'm not a professional sports gambler. I Look, it's, it's luck with me like it's luck with you unless we have any professional sports gamblers listening you don't care who I think is going to win what game, and we don't know that much about this Packers team yet, so I'm not going to waste time doing game predictions in about a week or two or three when training camp and the preseason really gets underway and we get a little bit better picture of what this team's going to look like. I do want to do some predictions. I don't think it's going to be win-loss, although we'll probably I'll probably throw that in as a footnote, but I do want to do predictions. I will pin them on Twitter. I will make them obvious, so if I'm wrong, we can talk about it. You can let me have it. You can give me grief. I'm not trying to hide it. Uh, but we will be doing some predictions, but not yet. It's much, much too early, especially to pick games, uh, which I don't think I'm going to do anyways. Sometime during the preseason, we'll do predictions. There are a lot of interesting storylines, I think. Really interesting storylines. Now, I don't think there are too many interesting position battles, although there are a few. Even kicker, uh, which really hasn't felt like a position battle, at least for a couple of years, we can follow along with. I think one of the most interesting things to follow. I don't know if this will impact wins or losses per se, but one of the most interesting things I'm going to be looking forward to following along with is differences between how Matt LaFleur does things and how Mike McCarthy does things, right? And there's already an obvious difference because the Packers are doing a joint practice with the Houston Texans, right? That's never something that would have been done under Mike McCarthy or Ted Thompson, right? That's, That's new. That's something that is different. That's a difference. So we already see one, and training camp hasn't even started yet. So we'll see how Matt LaFleur interacts with players uh, and how he organizes things and how he interacts with players and media and and everything. I'm interested to watch that. I mean, remember there were reports. I I don't remember if it was in the Bleacher Report Tyler Dunn article. It was so big. I don't remember all what was in there. But there were reports that Mike McCarthy neglected the defense and that the defensive players felt like an afterthought, that their side of the ball wasn't as important, and that Mike McCarthy didn't pay any attention to them. Maybe Matt LaFleur will take a similar approach because that's the advantage of hiring a former head coach to be your defensive coordinator is they can really handle things by themselves, right? But you also want to make those players on the defensive side of the ball, even for an offensive-minded head coach, you want to make those players feel appreciated, feel valued, feel a part of things. And I think that relationship between the head coach and the defense may have gotten sour, at least from what we've heard over the last couple of years of Mike McCarthy's tenure. We'll see if Matt LaFleur makes a point to to interact with the defensive side of the ball a little bit more. There are a couple interesting position battles. I I think the biggest one to watch will probably be the wide receivers. You know Devontae Adams is your number one, but then you have some things to figure out. Everybody loves the upside of of Valdez-Scantling, 
I'm not doing jumping jacks. I'm worried that he could have a little bit of a regression in his second year, especially if there are injuries, especially if he's expected to do too much. Because if you remember back to uh, 2015-16, during Devontae Adams' sophomore year, he was asked to do too much because Jordy Nelson got hurt and because Randall Cobb got dinged. He was asked to do too much, and he he couldn't cut the mustard. I I hope we're not looking at a similar situation with Valdez Scantling. Of course, then you have Jamon Moore, who underwhelmed last year. Equinemia St. Brown, who flashed. And of course, then there's Jake Kumaro and always, 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 always Trevor Davis. So we'll see how the receivers stack up. I think the most interesting position to watch is going to be running back. And that's a position that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about. It's a position that I have a little bit of concern, a little bit of intrigue, because everybody is convinced, and I think rightfully so, that Aaron Jones is the number one back and Jamal Williams is the number two. An exercise that I like to do before the season is, is what happens if your best player at a position group gets hurt, okay? So, when we're talking about the running backs, what if Aaron Jones gets hurt? What are you left with? What is there? Well, you have Jamal Williams. What's his name? Dexter Williams they drafted, who we don't know anything about, and and they're probably going to have more bodies in camp. What do you have at running back? I think there might be a little bit of a depth problem at running back. You can't be super, super deep at every position. Talking earlier in the show about how I think defensively up front, they got a lot of really good depth. Running backs? I don't think so. So I'm hoping that somebody outside of Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams really gives the Packers something during training camp. Because that could be a position where... If everyone stays healthy, hopefully you're okay. But if there's just only one injury, that could really be an issue, in in my opinion. I haven't heard anybody else talk about it. Maybe somebody's talked about it. I, that's something that I have been focusing on so far. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had Andy Herman on. Uh, you can find him at Scani Sports on Twitter. He's doing a bunch of different things. Cheesehead TV, Pack-A-Day Podcast. When I asked him the most important thing the Packers got to handle during the preseason or, or during training camp, You can only accomplish one thing. What's it got to be? And he said, defense, defense, defense. You need to get your defense figured out. Because it's gotten to the point where they've invested so much draft capital, so many draft picks, so much free agency money now as well, and you've gone out and gotten a different defensive coordinator. You got to see results. This can't be another rebuilding year on defense. There has to be results. And I think that's something that I'm going to watch during training camp. How does their defense look? Does it look organized? Does it look like a, a unit ready to go? Men who are who are working together and not just a bunch of bodies on a football field. I'm excited to watch that. Brewers tonight against the Reds. Game two of the series. 7-10 first pitch. 6-35 pregame. Hang around. Enjoy. We'll be back to talk about it tomorrow. Same time, same place. Talk to you then.